Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, episode 33, The Mains. They reached at length the valley road. The water that ran in the bottom was the lorry. Three days ago it was a lively little stream, winding and changing within its grassy banks, here resting silently in a deep pool, there running and singing over its pebbles. Now it had filled and far overflowed its banks, and was a swift river. It had not yet so far up the valley encroached on the road, but the torrents on the mountain had already in places much injured it, and with considerable difficulty they crossed some of the new-made gullies. When they approached the bridge, however, by which they must cross the lorry, to reach the mains, their worst trouble lay before them. For the enemy, with whose reinforcements they had all the time been descending, showed itself ever in greater strength the farther they advanced, and here the road was flooded for a long way on both sides of the bridge. There was therefore a good deal of waiting to be done, but the road was an embankment. There was little current, and in safety at last they ascended the rising ground on which the farm buildings stood. When they reached the yard, they sent Gibby to find shelter for Crummy, and themselves went up to the house. The Lord preserves, cried Jean Maver, with uplifted hands, when she saw them enter the kitchen. He'll dee that, ma'am, returned Janet, with a smile. The farmer, hearing their voices, came into the kitchen, a middle-sized and middle-aged, rather coarse-looking man, with keen eyes, who took snuff amazingly. His manner was free with a touch of satire. He was proud of driving a hard bargain, but was thoroughly hospitable. He had little respect for person or thing, but showed an occasional touch of tenderness. Hoots, Rob, he said, roughly as he entered. I thought ye had mare sense. What's brought ye here at sick a time? But as he spoke, he held out his snuff-box to the old man. Fell ne- necessity, sir, answered Robert, taking a good pinch. Necessity, retorted the farmer. Was ye Udo Mule? Udo Dry Mule? I doot. By this time, sir, replied Robert. Hoots, I was we were uh, in like necessity. We'll up, up o the hill, instead o' doon here up o the hoff, river meadow. It's just clear ridiculous. Ye said, hey, kenned better at your age, Rob. Ye said, hey, thought twice, man. Deed, sir, answered Robert, quietly finishing his pinch of snuff. There was small need and less time to think, and Glashgar bursting and the water coming o'er the tap o' the bit, hoosie as ging twar a muckle or shot wheel, and no a place for folk, folk to bide in. Ye dine, I think, Janet and me wa o'er Sunday clothes to swim in, gin we thought to see things as we left them when we got back. The old people went to change their clothes for some Jean had provided. And in the meantime she made up her fire and prepared some breakfast for them. And where's your your Gibby? she asked as they re-entered the kitchen. He had her crummy to look after, answered Janet, but he matched hay been in or this time. He'll be with Donald I the bar nay do, said Jean. He's a some shy coming in wantin' an feet. 
She went to the door and called with a loud voice across the yard, through the wind and the clashing torrents. Donald, send Gibby in till's breakfast. He's all till's sheep, cried Donald in reply. Gibby kens better what he's about, nor on, only twa to thinks him. Jean went back to the half-reassured concerning her brownie, and far from contented with his absence, but she was glad to find that neither Janet nor Robert appeared alarmed at the news. I was the crater had some breakfast, she said. He has a piece and some pooch, answered Janet. When they had eaten their breakfast, Robert took his pipe to the barn, saying there was not much danger of fire that day. Janet washed up the dishes and sat down to her book, and Jean went out and in attending to many things. Meantime the rain fell, the wind blew, the water rose. Little could be done beyond feeding the animals, threshing a little corn in the barn, and twisting straw ropes for the thatch of the ricks of the coming harvest. If indeed there was a harvest on the road, for as the day went on it seemed almost to grow doubtful whether any ropes would be wanted, while already not a few of last year's ricks from farther up the country were floating past the mains down the dar to the sea. The sight was a dreadful one, had an air of the day of judgment about it to farmers' eyes. From the mains to right and left, beyond the rising ground on which the farm buildings stood, everywhere as far as the bases of the hills instead of fields was water, yellow-brown, here in still expanse or slow progress. They're sweeping along in fierce current. The quieter parts of it were dotted with trees, divided by hedges, shaded with ears of corn, but on the swifter parts floated objects of all kinds. Mr. Duff went wandering restlessly from one spot to another, finding nothing to do. In the glo gloaming which fell, the sooner that a rain blanket miles thick wrapped the earth up from the sun, he came across from the barn, and entering the kitchen, dropped weary with hopelessness on a chair. I can well understand, he said. Janet sat silently, knitting hard at a stocking she had got hold of, that Jean had begun for her brother. She knew argument concerning the uses of adversity was vain, with a man who knew of no life but that which consisted in eating and drinking, sleeping and rising, working and getting on in the world, as to such things existing only that they may subserve a real life. He was almost as ignorant, notwithstanding he was an elder of the church, as any heathen. From being nearly in the center of its own land, the farm steading of the mains was at a considerable distance from any other, but there were two or three cottages upon the land, and as the evening drew on, another aged pair, who lived on in one only a few hundred yards from the house, made their appearance, and were soon followed by the wife of the foreman, with her children, who lived farther off. Quickly the night closed in, and Gibby was not come. Robert was growing very uneasy. Janet kept comforting and reassuring him. Janet did not sleep a wink that night. She had so many to pray for. Not Gibby only, but every one of her family was in perils of waters, all being employed along the valley of the Dar. It was not, she said, confessing to her husband her sleeplessness that she was afraid. She was only keeping them company and handing them yet open, she said. The latter phrase was her picture paraphrase for praying. She never said she prayed. She held the gate open. The wonder is but small that Donald should have turned out a poet. 
The dawn appeared, but the farm had vanished. Not even heads of growing corn were anywhere more to be seen. The loss would be severe, and John Duff's heart sank within him. The sheep which had been in the mown clover field that sloped to the burn were now all in the cornyard, and the water was there with them. If the rise did not soon cease, every rick would be afloat. There was little current, however, and not half the danger there would have been had the houses stood a few hundred yards in any direction from where they were. "'Take your breakfast, John,' said his sister. "'Let them tack at hungers,' he answered. "'Tack, or you'll know hey the what to save,' said Jean. Thereupon he fell to ew and ate, if not with appetite, then with a will that was wondrous. The flood still grew, and still the rain poured and Gibby did not come. Indeed, no one any longer expected him. Whatever might have become of him, except by boat, the mains was inaccessible now. They thought, soon after breakfast, notwithstanding, a strange woman came to the door. Jean, who opened it to her knock, stood and stared speechless. It was a gray-haired woman, with a more disreputable look than her weather-flouted condition would account for. Gran, whither for the dukes, she said. "'Whar come ye, Frey?' returned Jean, who did not relish the freedom of her address. "'Frey o'er by,' she answered. "'And who won ye here? Up o' my twa legs.' Jean looked this way and that, over the watery waste, and again stared at the woman in growing bewilderment. They came afterwards to the conclusion that she had arrived probably half-drunk the night before, and passed it in one of the outhouses. "'Your legs might be langer. "'Nor they look, then, woman,' said Jean, glancing at the lower part of the stranger's person. The woman only laughed, a laugh without any laughter in it. "'What's your wool? No, at ye are here,' continued Jean, with severity. "'Ye cannot to the maze tell them their volcano whether it was.' "'I came where I could win,' answered the woman. "'And for my wool there's nothing to nobody knew. It's no as it was last.' Say, as ye would gang the length o' a glass o' whiskey. Ye's got no whiskey here, interrupted Jean with determination. The woman gave a sigh, and half turned away as if she would depart. But however she might have come, it was plainly impossible she should depart and live. Woman, said Jean, come your way, and, and as I say, nothing say long as ye behave. The woman followed her, took the seat, pointed out to her by the fire, and solemnly ate without a word of thanks the cakes and milk handed her, but seemed to grow better tempered as she ate, though her black eyes glowed at the food with something of disgust and more of contempt. She would rather have had a gill whiskey than all the milk on the mains. On the other side of the fire sat Janet, knitting away busily, with a look of ease and leisure. She said nothing, but now and then cast a kindly glance out of her gray eyes at the woman. There was an air of the lost sheep about the stranger, which in whomsoever she might see it always drew her affection. She might be any of them, them the master came to care, she said to herself, but she was careful to suggest no approach, for she knew the sheep that has left the flock has grown wild and is more suspicious and easily startled than one in the midst of its brethren. With the first of the light, some of the men on the farm had set out to look for Gibby, well knowing it would be a hard matter to touch Glashgar. About nine they returned, having found it impossible. One of them caught in a current and swept into a hole, had barely escaped with his life, but they were unanimous that the that Gibby was better off in any cave on Glashgar than he would be in the best bedroom at the mains. 
if things went on as they threatened. Robert had kept on going to the barn and back again to the kitchen all the morning, consumed with anxiety about the son of his old age. But the barn began to be flooded, and he had to limit his prayer walk to the space between the door of the house and the chair, where Janet sat, knitting busily and praying with a countenance untroubled amidst the rush of the seaward torrents, the mad howling and screeching of the wind, and the lowing of the imprisoned cattle. To Janet, what we call life and death were comparatively small matters, but she was very tender over suffering and fear. She did not pray half so much for Gibby's life as for the presence with him of him who is at the deathbed of every sparrow. She went on waiting and refused to be troubled. True, she was not his bodily mother, but she loved him far better than the mother who, in such a child, would have been mad with terror. The difference was that Janet loved up as well as down love down so widely so intensely because the lord of life who gives his own to us was more to her than any child can be to any mother and she knew he could not forsake her gibby and that his presence was more and better than life robert seemed at length to have ceased his caged wandering for a quarter of an hour he had been sitting with his face buried in his hands Janet rose, went softly to him, and said in a whisper, Is Gibby war af Robert, is this water up Oglashker, nor the disciples of the boat upon yon lock o' Galilee, and the master no come to them? Robert, my ain man, dinner guard the master saith to you, O ye, O little faith, wherefore did ye doubt? Take heart, man, the master wouldn't a hay his men be cowards. You're right, Janet. You're a right, answered Robert, and rose. She followed him into the passage. Where are you going, Robert? she said. I wuss I could tell ye, he answered. I'm just hungering to be my lane. I wuss I had never left Glashgar. There's a room there, or gin I could win, Otomo the rigs. There's none o' them left, but there's the rucks. She turned and left him, comforted by her words. He followed her back into the kitchen and sat down beside her. Yet Gibby'll be here, mayhap, when least ye look for him, said Janet. Neither of them caught the wild, eager gleam that lighted the face of the strange woman at those last words of Janet. She looked up at her with the sharpest of glances, but the same instant compelled her countenance to resume its former expression of fierce indifference, and under that became watchful of everything said and done. Still the rain fell and the wind blew. The torrents came tearing down from the hills and shot madly into the rivers. The rivers ran into the valleys and deepened the lakes that filled them on every side of the mains from the foot of Glashgar to Gormdhu. All was one yellow and red sea, with roaring currents and fortresses numberless. It burrowed holes, it opened long deserted channels, and watercourses. Here it deposited inches of rich mold, their yards of sand and gravel. Here it was carrying away fertile ground, leaving behind only bare rock or shingle where the corn had been waving. There it was scooping out the bed of a new lake, many a thick soft lawn of loveliest grass, dotted with fragrant shrubs and rare trees vanished, and nothing was there when the water subsided but a stony waste, or a gravelly precipice. Woods and copses were undermined, and trees and soil together swept into the wash. Sometimes the very place was hardly there to say it knew its children no more. 
Houses were torn to pieces, and their contents, as from broken boxes, sent wandering on the brown waste, through the gray air to the discolored sea, whose saltness for a long way out had vanished with its hues. Haymows were buried to the very top in sand. Others went sailing bodily down the mighty stream. Some of them followed or surrounded, like big ducks, by a great brood of ricks for their ducklings. Huge trees went past as if shot down an alpine slide, cottages and bridges of stone giving way before them, wooden mills, thatched roofs, great mill wheels went dipping and swaying and hobbling down. From the upper window of the mains, looking towards the chief current, they saw a drift of everything belonging to farms and dwelling houses that would float. Chairs and tables, chests, carts, saddles, chests or drawers, tubs of linen, beds and blankets, workbenches, harrows, girnails, planes, cheeses, churns, spinning wheels, cradles, iron pots, wheelbarrows, all these and many other things hurried past as they gazed. Everybody was looking, and for a time all had been silent. Lord, save us! Mr. Dove, with a great start, and ran for his telescope. A four-post bed came rocking down the river, now shooting straight for a short distance, now slowing, willing, now shivering, struck by some swifter thing, now whirling giddily around in some vortex. The soaked curtains were flacking and flying in the great wind, and yes, this telescope revealed it. There was a figure in it. Dead or alive, the farmer could not tell, but it lay still. A cry burst from them all, but on swept the strange boat, bound for the world beyond the flood, and none could stay its course. The water was now in the stable, and cowhouses, and barn. A few minutes more, and it would be creeping into the kitchen. The dar and its tributary, the lorry, were about to merge their last difference on the floor of Jean's parlor. Worst of all, a rapid current had set in across the farther end of the stable, which no one had as yet observed. Jean bustled about her work as usual, nor, although it was so much augmented, would accept help from any of her guests until it came to preparing dinner. When she allowed Janet and the foreman's wife to lend her a hand, the tramp wife she would not permit to touch plate or spoon, knife or potato. The woman rose in anger at her exclusion, and leaving the house, waited to the barn. There she went up the ladder to the loft where she had slept, and threw herself on her straw bed. As there was no doing any work, Donald was out with two of the men, wading here and there where the water was not too deep, enjoying the wonder of the strange looks and curious conjunctions of things. None of them felt much of dismay at the havoc around them. Beyond their chests, with their Sunday clothes and at most two clean shirts, neither of the men had anything to lose worth mentioning, and for Donald he would gladly have given even his books for such a ploy. "'There's a thing, Mithers,' he said, entering the kitchen, covered with mud, a rabbit in one hand and a large salmon in the other. We're no like to starve with salmon. Eh, the hedges and magpies and mappies in the trees.' His mass. His employer questioned him with no little incredulity. It was easy to believe in salmon anywhere, but rabbits? In trees? I catched it in the branches o' a lark, larch, Donald answered. Easy enough, for it couldn't have run far, and was mare fleeting at the water, nor at me, but for the salmon, he either I... 
Before the flood subsided, not a few rabbits were caught in trees, mostly spruce, firs, and larches. For salmon, they were taken everywhere, among grass, corn, and potatoes, in bushes and hedges and cottages. One who was caught on a lawn with an umbrella. One was reported to have been found in a press bed. Another coiled round in a pot hanging from the crook, ready to be boiled, only that he was alive and undressed. Donna was still being cross-questioned by his employer when the strange woman re-entered. Lying upon her straw, she had seen through the fanlight over the staple door the swiftness of the current there passing and understood the danger. I dealt, she said, addressing no one in particular. The gale o' the stable went a stand a, a bun another half hour. It, you might at the least give the poor things a chance, the woman rejoined. Who watch ye deed that, said Jean. Mr. Duff broke into a strange laughter. Why'd you no talk up that carpet's first woman, he said. The woman is the right, he cried, suddenly waking up to the sense of the proposal, and shot from the house. All the women, Jean making no exception to any help now, rushed to carry the beds and blankets to the garret. Just as Mr. Duff entered the stable from the nearer end, the opposite gable fell out with a great splash, letting in the wide level vision of turbidly raging waters fading into the obscurity of the wind-driven rain. While he stared aghast, a great tree struck the wall like a battering ram, so that the stable shook. The horses, which had been for some time moving uneasily, were now quite scared. There was not a moment to be lost. Duff shouted for his men. One or two came running, and less than a minute more than those in the house heard the iron shod feet splashing and stamping through the water as one after another the horses were brought across the yard to the door of the house mr duff led by the halter his favorite snowball who was a good deal excited plunging and rearing so that it was all he could do to hold him he had ordered the man to take the others first thinking he would follow more quietly but this moment snowball heard the first thundering of hoofs on the stair he went out of his senses with terror broke from his master and went plunging back to the stable duff darted after him but was only in time to see him rush from the far further end into the swift current where he was at once out of his depth and was instantly caught and hurried rolling over and over from his master's sight he ran back into the house and up to the highest window from that he caught sight of him a long way down swimming once or twice he saw him turning heels overhead, only to get his neck up again, presently and swim as well as before. But alas, it was the direction in the direction of the Dar, which was soon, his master did not doubt, sweep his carcass into the North Sea. With troubled heart he strained his side after him as long as he could to distinguish his lessening head, but it got amongst some wreck, and unable to tell any more whether he saw it or not, he returned to his men with his eyes full of tears. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. Thank you.